I want to read a lengthy passage of scripture this morning, and um, you can find it in Matthew chapter 24. I want to speak to you about the subject of understanding the signs of the times. And I encourage you to listen closely. This is not going to be an entertaining talk. This is not going to be three points in a poem. Um, this is, uh, I, let me just say this. Do whatever you can to have you and your family in church the next three Sundays. If you're following any of the um, people that God is speaking to nationally and internationally, we are in a season that is pregnant with kingdom possibilities. And if we shrink back or we get careless, lazy, or apathetic, we will lose a great moment or season of visitation. I don't know if you're hearing me, but in my spirit, I cannot say it with more sincerity, more intensity, or more hope. And as a spiritual leader, I really want to rally the people of God, the bride of Christ, because we are in a season of divine disruption, and God is using it as he always has throughout the history of humankind. So today, we're going to read, and I ask you, please be a student of God's Word. Bring your Bible, bring a notepad, or at least have a device that you can follow along. I'm going to be reading from the NIV, and again, it's a lengthy passage of Scripture. So let's read together, because I want this in your spirit to register. Matthew 24 Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's us. Can I get a witness? And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. 
For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. We see the tenderness and the graciousness of our Father, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Here he is in the inner room. Do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will the coming of the so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, hallelujah, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. Everybody say fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it, or depending on what translation it should say, you know that he is near, Jesus, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. And I, I'm going to end right here. There's two sections we're going to look at. And I just, I love, I love the word of God. In verse 35, it says, all of this seemingly bizarre, hard to believe stuff that didn't come from Paul or James or one of the prophets. This is, this is Jesus speaking. And he says in verse 35, come on, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Can you say a good amen to the reading of God's word? Amen. I want us to take um, a look at this, this whole chapter. And um, there's three sections. The first is the setting. I want us to understand the questions that were asked that caused Jesus to give this answer. We see it in the first three verses. Then we will look at the signs, and it's verse 4 to verse 35. And he gives these signs that you should understand and know about. And then verse 36 until the end, what is it, 51 there's a sermon Jesus preaches. Now, in this setting, these signs, here's what this means to you. And so let's begin first, and I want to talk. Um, and let me just say, we're going to tie some things into Jewish history. Um, the nation of Israel, as Jeremiah said, and Isaiah and Ezra. Isaiah was the one in chapter 66 that says, I will, I will once again bring you back, and in one day, I will make you a nation. And we're going to look at 
recent modern history where this has happened. And, and, and I want to say, this is, a, this is a, an ambitious uh, sermon for a Sunday morning. But I'm ambitious. I'm up for it. And, and I think there are, I, I want to say this, there are subjects that American spiritual leaders are avoiding. There are scriptures that we just avoid, and it's like, they're too hard for people to understand. They're too confusing. Not everything is. And break down the word. And, and it's, it's like, if we ignore it, it will go away. And it doesn't go away. And we can't ignore it. And we can't act like, well, it doesn't apply to us and we don't like that part of the Bible. If we do that, then we are vulnerable. The key word, we are vulnerable at seasons that the scripture speaks about. And so here we are. And I know that there is a cry and a need for the people of God to be comforted. I'm a shepherd and I love the people that, that God's called me to lead. I love you. And um, I can't stand in good conscience and just say, hang in there, everything's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay, but it, it may not be okay before it's ultimately okay. And we need to be prepared and not be vulnerable. And so, I'm not going to give a thorough, I'm not a prophecy expert, um, but I know enough about the scripture. I know enough about the seasons we're living in. Um, I'm not a, a Hebrew or Israeli Jewish historical expert, but I do know enough and have common sense and have studied the word of God for 40 years. And so I, I do want to share some stuff that I believe is going to shape us. And I pray that every teenager, every, uh, all of the, from the youngest to the oldest, that our hearts would be malleable. There's a great anointing in this room right now, and I feel it. And I'm not preaching, but I'm talking. But I, I sense his presence in this place. I can see it, your hunger on your faces. And so let's first break this down. Number one, the setting. This chapter opens up in these first three verses. It this event takes place either on Tuesday or Monday after on Sunday of the triumph, triumphal entry when Jesus came into Jerusalem and people were crying Hosanna, shouting Hosanna. It was probably Tuesday. And so it opens up here and the masses notice this. We're going to come back to this because we see this happening right now. The masses of people had accepted Jesus and recognized him for who he was. That's why they shouted, Hosanna, save us now. But the leadership, the spiritual leadership, the elite, the ruling class rejected him. And Jesus, he curses the fig tree. We'll come back to that. And it dies. It immediately withers. And the fig tree was very closely related to what had happened the day before. Listen, we actually see an illustration, the fig tree being a picture of the people of God. And Jesus comes in and the people accept him, but the leaders reject him. And he knows what's getting ready to happen. And the, right before chapter 24 is when he, he weeps and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you like a, a mother hen gathers her little ones. And you've missed the moment of, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. You've missed the moment of your visitation. And Jesus' heart breaks and he speaks of the house. And he says, and because of that, your house is desolate. 
empty. In the house of God, it's unusual in this season that the house of God across the nation is often empty. Many of them haven't even reopened. And Jesus, we see so many incredible parallels. And so he speaks to the fig tree, curses it, and it dies. And it's a picture in the natural of what's happening in the spiritual. Everybody tracking with me so far? So this is the setting that we see. The Messiah is rejected. Now, the disciples had looked at this temple that Solomon had built, and it was, mag it was magnificent, full of splendor. It was beautiful. And the disciples had been out in the country, a bunch of fishermen, and here they are in big-time Jerusalem, and they're standing there going, wow. Two days ago, the people were hailing you as Hosanna. And, and they're in their minds, they're seeing what's about to happen. You know, you, Jesus, you are about to take over. And they, they go, look at this temple. It, this is pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection, pre-ascension. So when they speak of the end of the age, they're not talking about the end of what this, of, of, of the whole thing. They're talking about the end of that era. And they're thinking, man, look at this temple. And Jesus, listen to me. Jesus says, don't, don't be impressed with that temple. And, and what, what you think is getting ready to happen is not what's getting ready to happen. In fact, Jesus says that the day will come when not one stone of this temple will stand on another. And there's a lot to unpack and be said about that. And here we stand at a day. Let me just say, these were not bricks or cinder blocks. Um, they don't even fully know how they got, listen, 20-ton boulders on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. There's theories about it. And so this temple was amazing. And when Jesus, listen, he said, everything you've come to see is unshakable because of what's just happened in the spiritual all of that is going to be destroyed. What happened? They ask, now tell us, how will this happen and when will it happen? And we won't, I won't unpack this whole thing, but we realize 40 years later, the Jews got tired of being under Roman oppression and they said, we're rising up. And they, they rose up all right and Titus, who later for a short time was a Caesar, and Rome came in and just destroyed it. And that temple was destroyed at that time. And 40 years later, do you see all that's going on here? You haven't received the Messiah and you've placed your faith in these things. And I would say to us, the parallels are, the things that are comparable is just crazy right now. Um, there are things in our nation. A year ago, you, you couldn't have told us that the statues of George Washington, that the Lincoln Memorial would be um, defaced or everything that's happening right now, the lawlessness. The, the, you, you, if I had stood here in December and told you, you wouldn't have believed it and I wouldn't have had the faith to tell you, even if God told me to tell you. I don't think I could have done it, to be quite honest. And here we sit. And the seat, the, this setting that we see the disciples in is very similar to the season in which we find ourselves right now. And so this is the setting. Secondly, they 
want to know. They, they ask him, tell us, when will this, this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age we see in verse 3? Two questions. When will this happen, what you're talking about, and what will be the sign of your coming? The first thing Jesus says, I want you to note, he says, watch out that no one deceives you. And I would say to you, there is a dearth of truth in the land. There is a, a lack of prophetic understanding and spiritual courage. I would say to the body of Christ, watch out that no one deceives you. And I would say to you in this room, be alert, be sober, be vigilant. Watch out. In these kind of seasons when statues and temples and monuments are being, monuments are being destructed, watch out that no one deceives you. Jesus says, after saying that, here's the first sign he offers up. And he says, wars and rumors of wars. There will be wars and rumors of wars. And let me just say, some of these signs, these are the general signs. And um, there's always been wars and rumors of wars. Always. And some of the other things, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And so this is nothing new. Now, the, the, listen to me. The potential for universal disaster is greater now than it was 2,000 years ago. And, and he says, these things are like birth pains. They will happen more frequently, and they will be more severe. But, but I love, and there's several things that I want to comfort you with this morning. Jesus says, there will be wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. He says such things must happen, but don't let it ruin your day. And you may go, how can that not ruin my day? Because Jesus is Lord. God is omnipotent. He sits on the throne. He's never been threatened. He does not have off days. He, in fact, is orchestrating all of human history right now according to the prayers of the saints. Are y'all out there? So I would say to you, don't be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. Nation will rise against nation. The word is actually ethnos. Race will rise against race. Listen, kingdom against kingdom. In our lifetime, if there's ever been a manifestation of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, the kingdom of free thought, traditional biblical value, and the alternative. If there's ever been a war of that, a clashing of that, it's happening right now. But Jesus would say, do not be alarmed. International conflict, it's always been ongoing. Jesus starts here by saying, there will be plenty of military and political stuff. There always has been. It's always going to be, but do not be alarmed. He would say to you, 
and to me, and I say it on his authority, do not let your hearts be troubled. Turn and tell somebody, don't be alarmed, and say it to them, preach it to them right now, quickly. He goes on to say that there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and we know that, and there seems to be more and more, and it's not just because we have more sophisticated systems to monitor it. They are getting more frequent. They are getting more severe. And Revelation, among many other places, talks about that this, this will happen. Now, please don't misquote me and Mark Zuckerberg. I'm praying that God will help you understand this too, that there is a global warming that is happening and going to happen. And it's not so much the geological or atmospheric warming as it is, hell is beginning to manifest more and more and there is a spiritual warming taking place in the earth. And the Bible says that that will happen. I wanna pause right here to say, you know what? The earth is never going to be heaven. We are not destined here forever. There is a city whose maker and builder is God, and that is the place where we will ultimately. Now listen, don't give me that tepid response like I kind of like it here. I wanna, I'm serious, I wanna stretch you. We raised a generation in the American church, we don't talk about hell anymore or heaven anymore. I have a friend in Dallas, a great pastor, he says, the truth of the matter is, hell is hot. People are lost. Jesus is coming soon. And Jesus saves lost people from a hot hell so that they can go to heaven. I'm not gonna help you say amen right there because if you can't, but there is, there's a, there's an, what goes on in the spiritual manifest in the physical. And we're, even what we're seeing politically, economically, everything is spiritual. And that's why we pray. Now, moving along, talking about more signs. These are general signs, right? But look in like verse four, five, and 11. Three times Jesus says, don't be deceived. Many will come in my name and deceive many. Many false prophets will rise up. And you may go, wow, Pastor Chuck, and listen, this is a worthy question. You may say, how, how can I keep from being deceived? I'm glad you asked that. That's the question. I'll tell you how you keep from being deceived. You stay full of the spirit of truth. You walk in the spirit. If you'll stay full of the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the one who leads you in truth and reminds you of what Jesus said in his word, you'll be just fine. If you stay full of Holy Spirit, error and deception will not dominate you. It won't trip you up. Now, verse 9 and 10, he goes on, and this is part of the prophecy. Everybody listen to me just a second. Because we are consumers and we have preachers who make millions of dollars um, doing things with this that are not complete in the full counsel of God. There's parts of prophecy and the promises and the commands that we ignore. And when you start talking about end time prophecy, verse nine and 10, 
which says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. And the word actually says, many will be offended at God's activity or inactivity. Many will be, and they will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, it's interesting to me the things that people focus on when teaching on prophecy or end times. And this is not one of them. They don't, we don't focus on this. So what's the distilled message of those three or four verses? Listen, it's this, that in the end times, it's going to get harder and harder to stand for the Lord. Not easier and easier. So be encouraged to gird up. Be encouraged to be intentional and focused. Be encouraged to be active in the body of Christ. Be encouraged to stay close to your, your, your fellowship. Be encouraged to stay in the word. It won't get easier, it will get harder and harder. But let me remind you, don't be alarmed. We are overcomers. There's things that we have to overcome and we're going to. Are y'all out there? If you're an overcomer, raise your hand right now. Just remind yourself, I'm an overcomer. Come hell or high water, doesn't matter what he sends my way. I'm, I'm going from glory to, I mean this stuff with all my heart. I'm not trying to pump you up this morning. I'm trying to prepare you for the days that we're already in. We are overcomers. I'm not afraid of anything. Not one thing. The devil I respect coronavirus, COVID. I'm not afraid of someone you or I don't want in the White House. I'm not afraid of that. That's not our king. That's not our kingdom. I care and I'm involved and engaged. But we serve, listen, the king of kings and the Lord, and we need to quit acting like we're in some earthly battle. The weapons we fight with, they are not carnal. They are not AK-47s and tanks. They are prayer and intercession and the gifts and the power of his spirit. Come on, somebody. <clears throat> so he says, don't be in despair. Remember that Jesus says, this is how it is going to be. And the disciples knew it, but only John was, he was the only one who wasn't um, martyred. He was on an island all by himself to get the book of Revelation. God will disrupt our comfort to do something revelatory. Y'all tracking with me out there? Everybody, y'all up for a few more minutes of this? <laughs> Barely, Pastor Chuck, but a few more. I'll give you three more. Don't be in despair. And I want to address one more. Um, one of the signs, Jesus says, in verse 19, please hear me out. He says, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. And there is an idea of, man, we don't want to have children and raise them in this world. And let me just say, there are a lot of things dreadful 
for pregnant mothers. Can I get a witness up in here from all the hallelujahs? There's a lot of dreadful things about raising children. Diapers are dreadful. Sometimes they're dreadful. Sometimes there's, there's the teenage years, and I know some of you don't like for me to use, and I, um, it's a term of endearment. I call our boys knuckleheads sometimes. But there's challenges, and it's God shaping me and them. And, and listen, this is in no way is Jesus saying, in those last days, I don't know if you want to have children. I understand this afternoon, Pastor Cindy told me that there's 72 people that are going to be gathering for the babies that are being dedicated to the Lord this afternoon and that we'll bring before the church next Sunday. And so, and I say, praise the Lord. You know, this is not Jesus saying stop having children. Because in many, in many other places in the word, you know, children are a heritage of the Lord. They're the gift from the Lord. And listen, godly families should have lots of children. We got our quiver full, don't we, honey? Candace said not long ago, these grandchildren make me want to have one more. I said, hey, Sarah, come on. Hey, now, let's go. Don't think, don't put it past us. We could still do it because we still are practicing. Um, Psalm 127, listen to these words. Unless the Lord builds the house, who lives in houses? Families do. Unless the Lord builds it, the ones trying to build it, build it in vain. Now, there are a lot of, whole, a lot of Christians who are trying to build their house, but when the Lord builds it, goes on to say children are a heritage from offspring or reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are, a children, are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. I wanna, I'm, I'm going to get through this sermon, and we're, we're going, but I, I do have to say this. Is it a dreadful, challenging day to raise solid Christian children? You bet it is. But most people are failing at doing it because they're not intentional. They're not focused. They themselves are not as committed to the Lord as they should be. And they let every wave of the culture and wind of the culture blow them off course. And some of you are seeing your children make decisions now that just break your heart. And the Lord would say to you, it's not over. They're in a knucklehead season that they're going to come out of it the other side. So don't be offended what Pastor Chuck is saying right now. I'm not judging your children. I'm just saying in the body of Christ, we have raised a generation where we go to church 17 times a year on average. That's what the research says. And in this church, if you'll help me a little bit, and you know, Jason, and your mother, and this is why you all have come back to this place. We are, we are giving budget and salaries and facilities 
and staffing. We are raising the next generation of warriors. We are, this church's quiver is going to be full. That nursery's filled back up again, and we are going to take those little arrows in a few years and release them with an anointing that will be a world-changing, difference-making anointing on the next generation. Come on, act like you believe it in the name of Jesus. The devil hates hearing what we're saying, but in the name of Jesus, and it's going to be your children. And I know some of you in the heartbreak that you're facing right now, but we're in this battle together and we're going to contend for them. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't be a bad father. Don't, don't make it hard for them to understand their heavenly father. Instead, raise them in the nurture and the admonition, the ways of the Lord, of the Lord. Hallelujah. Can we just declare God is going to be faithful to a thousand generations at Restoration Church in the name of Jesus. Come on. We, we, we declare it. We thank you for it ahead of time, Father. We love our children, our grandchildren. Don't you buy into that. Yeah, the media, social media, all, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But God, we're going to be that church that, that hell does not want families with children to come to. We're going to get them spoiled at an early age. Spoiled. Ruined for God. Encounters that shape them forever. It's what happened to me. That's why I'm standing here. That's why she's sitting there. We got sealed at an early age in the name of Jesus. Okay, now... These are the general age-long signs that we've seen for hundreds of years. But everybody tune in. There are now what we're moving to a couple specific signs about the end of the age that are climactic. The ones that keep everyone interested, the most important ones. And everybody's like, what is the sign of Jesus coming, really? He gave it. Two of them right here in this passage. It's not going to excite you as much as you think it may because all of us want a sign that if we just get one week's notice, maybe a month, we'll get our life back together and we'll be ready to go. Isn't that why everybody wants a sign? Why did he not make the book of Revelation easy to understand? Number one, it was a man writing about things he saw. How many of you know Men aren't good about relaying things they saw, even what they heard. And it was supernatural things that God was showing him. But the main reason is God, he knows how we are. We would live in Vegas and move out within a week to make the rapture. Sin City would be our, our address. Are y'all out there? No, you're not, but that's all right. That's where I'd be. So, verse 30, we see two things. The sound of a trumpet and the appearing of the Savior. That doesn't give us much warning, does it? It's over. There it is. 
That's one of the specific signs. They asked, what will be the sign of your coming? And he gave it. Not only the trumpet, but the Son of God will appear for all to see. It won't be once a month in Conyers, Georgia, where the Mary, the mother of Jesus, appears. And whether Fox reports it accurately, CNN ignores it, MSNBC twists it, Mark Zuckerberg and Twitter and Facebook eliminate it. It won't matter. You won't even, they will be behind the news of what's already happened. When Jesus appears, the trumpet will sound, Jesus will appear, and everybody will see him. How many of you are longing for that day? Come on, somebody. Woo! And our kids recently said, that's kind of scary. We got to look at it differently. First Thessalonians, Paul says, when, when he's talking about the end of the day and the dead in Christ and the order of when the trumpet sounds, in verse 18 he says, encourage or comfort one another with these words. If you're sitting here today going, but man, if he comes back before I get to enjoy my 401k, I just... Are you serious? That's a knucklehead move right there if I've ever heard one. But that's how we view it. Let me comfort you with these words. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand forever. Jesus is coming soon. Can I get a witness? Now, so the trumpet will sound and then Jesus will appear. But there's another sign that's not specific, but it's, it's not about a moment that will alert us of it. Please hear me. This, I've preached the whole sermon to get us right here. There's another sign he mentions, and it's not about a specific moment or sign, but listen, it's about a season that in that season, you should expect him to return. It's in verse 32, we see the parable of the fig tree. Everybody say it again, fig tree. What is the parable of the fig tree? Well, all, every theologian that I know agrees with what I'm about to tell you, and I agree with it. The fig tree throughout the Old Testament is a picture of the people of Israel. The people of God, please, young and old alike, please tune in. In Joel chapter 1, among many other places, in verse 6 and 7, Joel the prophet says, For a nation has come against my land, and that's the Assyrians that come in from the north. And I, I won't break down and give you the full understanding of Joel, but I want you to see this. That they will come in against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. And he, the opposition, has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. And so we see here God saying, my place, my land, where my people, my fig tree are. And we see now back in Matthew 24, the budding of that fig tree. And 
I'm going to try and get away from my notes because I want to make sure that I can explain this in a simple, in, in a way that everybody in this room can get it, okay? So we're looking at the fig tree being a picture of God's people. Um, in the Old Testament, the people of God, the prophets told them, if you don't obey me, I'm going to scatter you all over the earth. And God did that a number of times, and he drew them back. But there was, for, thousands, for hundreds of years, up until 1890s, Jewish people were everywhere but Israel and Jerusalem. And we're blessed that we have four or five Messianic Jewish families in this church, and it's a blessing to have you. And we're thankful for that. But I want you to understand the history of this. So in 1899 in France, there was a Jewish man named Dreyfus, his last name. He was in the military and he was falsely accused basically of giving secrets, military secrets from France to Germany. I want you to see God's hand at work in disruption. In the late 1800s, the turning of the century into the early 1900s, when the Holy Spirit was poured out again at Azusa Street, there, God was moving then like he is now. And, it, and, and so he was falsely accused. There was a trial and the common people, he was falsely accused and convicted and sentenced, this Jewish man. And the people knew the details and there was an uprising of Jewish people and then the common people. And so they retried him. And in the retrial, it's much like today, there was forgery of signatures and once again, he was sentenced. And then in that, and it, it wasn't because of anything except it was a racial injustice. It was anti-Semitic. And in that, a guy by the name of Theodore Herzl started, he was the father of the Zionist movement. The Zionist movement has to do with, let's help the people of God, the Jewish people, get back to their homeland. Let me just say, a lot of this is not taught because of our racial sensitivity in our political correct culture. But this is the word of God in recent history that bears upon our text this morning. Theodore Herzl started a movement and in the early 1900s, I think 1909 was the first kibbutzim where there were Jewish people who came back to Israel and lived as nomads in temporary neighborhoods in community together and they lived off of the land. And there was a great feeling of injustice but they, but they were coming back home because of Theodore Herzl. Then in World War, the First World War, there was a general, a British general, Allenby, who took Jerusalem and the British, along with a few other nations, issued the Balfour Declaration, and that was, we stand in support of the Jewish people coming back to their land. And so they came back, they were not a chartered nation, 
But the Jewish people began to do what Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezra said would happen. And as they come back, they're there, but they don't, they don't have the security of their own nation. Fast forward 20 years, and we see 12 million Jews murdered. And I know you've heard it was 6 million Jews, and it was in the Nazi regime of Hitler. But there was another 6 million Jews in that time that had been killed by the Stalin era. Now listen, this is serious disruption. There are lives at stake. And in the Second World War, what happened? They took Jerusalem in, in 1948, other nations gathered and they said, let's declare the nation of Israel a nation again. Now I'm not gonna park right here. Fast forward, what, 19 years after that. In those 19 years after they became a nation in 1948, the Arab world, the Arab which means nomad, a group of nomads, people who live together but don't have a real place. The Arab world was 100 million people strong. And they said that we will, where the, Jew, the small number of, I think today it's still true, there are more Jews in New York City than in Jerusalem. I don't know that that's a fact, but I think that's still true. There's many cities around the world that have more Jews right now than Jerusalem. And so in 1967, the Arabs had said 100 million strong that we're going to come into little vulnerable Jewish Israeli settlements. And they literally said, we're gonna drive you into the sea. And they started that. And it was what we know as the six day war. And we see God in modern history. I was born in 65. A lot of us were living then. And we see then in 1967, the Six Day War for the first time in 2300 years, Jerusalem is given back to the Jewish people. And that was miraculous. I mean, it's like, you know all those stories in Old Testament, three people with a, the jawbone of a donkey kill 18 million people. You know that? And you're like, how does that happen? Well, it happened in 1967. And for the first time in 2,300 years. And then there's, I went to Israel and studied in 1987, the Hebrew um, University and the, the Jerusalem Center for Biblical Studies. And I can remember going, it's my first time and only time I want to go back. And it was you, if you've never been there, you can't understand the hostility. But when you go there and you read this, you understand that all of prophecy, really the center of the universe is right there in Jerusalem. This is why the Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which means your Salom, city of peace, where there's never been peace. And this is why what happened, what was it, 2018, when President Trump said, no, the capital of Israel needs to be moved from Tel Aviv into Jerusalem. 
Why am I saying all of this? Because we are seeing the budding of the fig tree. We are seeing summer is near. There is fruit on the vine. What does Jesus say? He says this, the generation that sees that will see me return. This is, again, I moved from general signs to specific. He said, you'll hear a trumpet and you'll see me. And it'll be too late for Fox and CNN. The newspapers, ignore what they're saying. It'll be old news by then. And he said, the generation that sees, and, and I, I've, I've done a very poor job of giving you a sketch. Listen to me, listen. God, you're gonna let 12 million Jews be murdered? I'm going to use it. God, you're gonna let 200 and some thousand Americans die of It would have been two million if God wasn't involved. I know, I know what political correctness t teaches. I know the, the battle politically going, but it's a spiritual battle. And I, would, I want to close. Are y'all, anybody tracking, picking up what the Lord is putting down this morning? I want to close with this. And we're going to sing this song, Even So Come. But before you guys come, just listen. Um, reading through, you know back in the beginning of this in, in March, I'm going to speak about this next week, the prophetic things the Lord began to speak to me. And I shared with every afternoon, the day of hope. Anybody, not the day of hope, uh, dose of hope. Anybody remember? Dosey do, dose of hope. And that the Lord said, there's exposure. And a number of things, and listen, listen to me. I said then, the Holy Spirit right now is so chatty. And I didn't mean that in a... Um, demeaning way. I meant it like this. God is speak. Holy Spirit was speaking to me faster than I could write things down. And he's speaking right now, people. This week, if you can't watch the media and see the brainwashing that's, that the attempt to, to brainwash a nation. And I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm telling you, watch out that you are not deceived. Why? Jesus comes in on the Passion Week and the people hail him, King of the Jews. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those were titles reserved for the Messiah. Listen to me, listen. The people knew this is the one. And I've read through the New Testament four times on my fourth time this year. And here's what it, it, it boggles my mind. Please listen. Over and over and over and over it says, but the chief priest, the elders, and the teachers of the law tried to find a way to kill him. Now see the parallels. The commoners go, that's our Messiah. But the ruling class of the day tried to kill him and misrepresent him.
And listen, five days later, the common people are told who to vote for. And they say, Barabbas, Barabbas. And the Bible says Pilate knew you don't want Barabbas. And it says he knew of the ruling class envy. There's politics going down here. And the Bible said, Pilate asked him again. And they shouted, Barabbas, you don't want Jesus? Crucify him. And the commoners were looking to the leaders, the ones who should be leading spiritually, the teachers of the law, the elders, the trusted ones. And they said, Barabbas. And this is why Jesus wept. And he said, Jerusalem, this beautiful temple, right now it's desolate and empty, but it's getting ready to be destroyed. But we're in the days where the days of the church era and what will be the end of this age when the church, if you're sitting here today and your palms are sweaty, I hope it's, a, it's an adrenaline, not a nervousness. Are y'all out there? Anybody know the difference between adrenaline and fear? Adrenaline is like when I go to a UGA football game, I swear if I could run the ball, I could run for 100 yards today. I believe it. You feel that. It's adrenaline. Fear is like... The Bible says the church will go from glory to glory to glory to glory. And he's coming back for a church that is without spot or wrinkle. We just need to be sure we're one of these kind of churches. And the last time I checked, we're, we're one of these churches. Anybody check lately? Anybody glad that we're sitting in a sanctuary where we love this right here? Come on, anybody sitting in a sanctuary where we're glad we worship the King? Come on, let's praise Him. Come on, stand and let's worship Him and cry.
I didn't preach the last point. Jesus gave all those 35 verses and then he preached. And the sermon was this. Here's what he said, three things. Number one, no one knows the hour, not even me. So quit writing all the books, 88 reasons why Jesus has come on August the 8th at 8 a.m., 18 minutes and eight seconds. Can I get a witness? No one knows. No one knows. Everybody say it. No one knows the hour. No one knows. But it will be just like in the days of Noah when they don't think a flood is coming. There will be millions say, I've heard that my whole life. That's the sermon Jesus preached. Then he said, watch, watch. Keep your head on a swivel. And the third thing he said, be ready, occupy. We have an empty house next to us that Eric and Joey just, and Eliana just moved out of. And it's not occupied. And the spiders and cockroaches are taking over. It, we, we have to go over there and occupy it. We're in a world where the spiders and cockroaches are, are taking over. And the religious Pharisees and Sadducees and the legalists and the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law are occupying. And it's time for the real blood-washed, spirit-filled, Bible-quoting, Jesus-loving, sin-hating, Jesus worshiping church arises and we occupy the earth. Are y'all out there? Come on, let your faith. That's what. It's like in Joshua when the angel appeared and Joshua said, Whose side are you on? He said, I didn't come to take sides, I came to take over. God is coming to take over and until then he's told us to take over can I get a witness anybody full this morning anybody love the Lord love his word come on one more time like a bride oh, like a bride you said how is it that you can look at the wind and know which way it's blowing and predict the weather and you, yet you do not know the signs of the times you don't understand what I'm doing thank you this morning for your revelation the simple presentation of your word as we match it up with historical events and even now what's happening in our nation we thank you father that we can see 
and understand the times. And hear me, brothers and sisters, we thank you, Lord, that we are in this season. No one knows the hour, but we will watch and we will be ready and occupy land. We are in the season of your return. And we are not fearful. We are not alarmed. We are excited to be chosen, to be in the army of God in these days. Awaken the church, Lord. Awaken spiritual leaders who are so into themselves and their followings, so into keeping the people happy and tickling the ears. Awaken pastors and evangelists and prophets and teachers. Awaken the church, Lord, to understand the season. Awaken the church to say, yeah, we gotta open the doors. We gotta get back in. Our house is desolate and empty. We have to get back together. Awaken the heart of the spiritual leaders in our nation, oh God. In this season, we need to be together praying. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. I heard Che on this week, great pastor of the church in Pasadena. He said, um, this whole thing about doing church online, it can't be the new deal. Have you ever seen a fireplace on TV? You can hear it crackling, right? You can't feel the heat. Anybody feel the heat this morning? Anybody hear the crackling? Praise the Lord. So may the Lord bless you and keep you in this crazy day. Make his face shine on you. May he lift up his countenance toward you and give you peace. Will you say, I receive it? Turn and tell somebody next to you, I'm going to be here early next week because I want a seat for this place. Don't miss Wednesday night, next Sunday. Love y'all. Have a wonderful afternoon.